Welcome to Season 8 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? You want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Ian Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. So if you've listened to a few of our past episodes, you may have noticed a pattern of NDSL issues. Early in 2021, Dr. Susan Comavez and Kathy Guthrie contacted us to talk about a partnership around promoting issues as they were released. And of course, we were excited. We had already planned on talking to NDSL uh, special issue co-editors anyway. So it was kind of a no-brainer to you know say, of course, we'd love to partner. And so it, it's special because we're in the middle of a research season, which I think is a first for us, right, Dan? Maybe a first? I think so. Yeah. I mean, we've certainly hinted at it here and there, but this is our first dedicated focus to the idea. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening to our current season, we've been talking about research, but NDSL episodes pop up as issues are released. This is actually the 10th one in our series. So we're very proud. If anybody wants to go back and listen, there are way more available in our archives and they all start with NDSL number such and such. So yeah, we're excited for this episode. Yeah, and you can check out some of those past episodes in the archives um, on the podcast website. So today's episode, uh, we're featuring New Directions for Student Leadership issue co-editors, Dr. Jennifer Moss-Breen. She's an associate professor at Creighton University and their EDD and Interdisciplinary Leadership Program, as well as Dr. Michael Gleason. He's at Wartburg College and is the Associate Dean for Graduate Studies and also an Associate Professor of Leadership. Um, and the director of the Institute for Leadership Education. Uh, they recently co-edited issue number 176, released in the winter of 2022, titled Developing Leaders in Graduate School. So thank you both for joining us today. Uh, welcome, Jen. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, so good to see you. And uh, welcome, Michael. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah, so very, very friendly faces for me here. Um, I I think Jen and, and Michael were some of the first folks I met at Association of Leadership Educator conferences over the years. In fact, we probably, my first one was Denver in 2011. Were other of you oh, at, wow. at that one? Or, did, or are you yes, all? I was. Michael, were you? I think I was a little after Denver. So you two were, were just ahead of the curve there. Okay. Okay. I mean, I feel like I can't go to an ALE without running into into both of y'all. And so it's like, and then I think, and I served on the board with you, Jen. I think we overlapped for a year. Yeah. Um, that was towards the end of my term as secretary. I don't know if we ever yes. served on the board together, Michael, did we? I think that was a little after. So, no, but, we've never served on the board together. No. Okay. Okay. But, but certainly see each other at a lot of conferences, which is great. We do. We do. And always, always fun to, to chat with y'all and, and interact. And y'all have made some just amazing contributions to the association um, as well. And, and ILA too. I, I think there's just so much benefits. And we talked a little bit about this during the season about putting your kind of neck out there to volunteer for associations. It's not only, you know, you get that feel good feeling, right? But it also is a great thing for networking and working on research and learning about uh, ways that you might uh, improve your own programs, right? Absolutely. 
So I'm glad. I always love hearing Dan say, here's how we met everybody. Because I feel like <laughs> mine is always um, LEI 2012 at Ohio State. Were y'all at, at that one? No. So usually no. there it's that one or one of the, I think, ALE 2014 in D.C.? Oh, my God. I was a conference chair that year. 14 or 15? Yeah. I think it was 15, right? In D.C. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a, I, yeah. Yep. It is a blur. <laughs> it's a blur. But let me tell you, as, as a conference, first-time conference participant, that's what sold me on ALE. It was a great conference. Uh, a colleague of mine, Matt Creasy, he's at the University of Delaware. He actually yeah. just took over their, their leadership program. One of my, my good friends, I've been trying to twist his arm to get him on the show forever. And one of these days, he's going to say yes. But he was the one that said, Hey, Lauren, you should come to this conference. And I went and loved it and had a great time. And that was like my introduction to ALE. Um, I'll say also selfishly, I'm excited about this episode. I'm a current graduate student. I'm at the end of my leadership program. I also just finished teaching a graduate leadership course, leading diverse teams in our communication master's program. So when this, when I saw this come up on our schedule, I was like, oh, this will be a really, really good episode. Um, I'm interested in, in different reasons because I've had good experiences with both. For example, my doctoral program is hybrid. So we do residencies three, four times a year. And then we were on Zoom for two years before the pandemic. So when the pandemic came and everybody had to switch and learn Zoom, I didn't have to because I had had two years of experience on that web-based platform. Um, and I know in some of the chapters, they talk about socialization. Um, you know, we're very, our cohort is incredibly close just because of the way we've had to engage. And then we also had to try and graduate through a pandemic. So some of my colleagues graduated and their graduations weren't in person because we weren't allowed to connect. So I'm super excited about this episode and kind of can't wait to hear where some of the discussion goes for sure. Yeah, so we've had a master's program at Southern Maine forever. I mean, I guess for me, as, far, as long as I had been at the university, I believe it started in like 03 or 04. So one, certainly an early adopter in that space. So I came into that, but our PhD program is brand new. So we're in our third year and literally our doc students just submitted. So this we're, we're taping this at the end of uh, March here. So they just submitted the first drafts of their proposals and we are sending the uh, comps questions to our students tomorrow. <laughs> first time we've ever administered comprehensive exams as a faculty. So we're in the, in the thick of it for sure. So, uh, so wish them luck. <laughs> And yeah. uh, but enough about uh, Lauren and I's program. So I would love to to dive into this issue that y'all co-edited and uh, start with the question around. So what is the origin story of this issue? How did it come about? Thanks, Dan and Lauren, so much. And I'll just pop off with a very briefly that Susan Comavez, you know, she's the leadership educator, supporter, supreme, and Kathy Guthrie now is taking the the lead on that for NDSL, but. Out of the blue, she reached out to us in March of 2021 saying, hey, we were thinking about this issue about graduate and professional school leadership, education and development and kind of what's out there and what's happening with it and what could happen with it. And uh, it was so neat. I had never met Susan before, you know, which is crazy because she's everywhere. But um, she and Kathy just support us all the way through and Really, they saw a challenge. They saw, Susan saw and Kathy saw that leadership education is and development is maturing. As you're saying, I'll say that when I did my program, my PhD program, University of Nebraska, it was a very traditional program. 
got on campus, uh, you know, graduate assistant type deal, very, very traditional. And now we, we talk about all the ways leadership education and development are offered throughout all of higher ed, bringing a lot of opportunity, but as well as some complexity to how we think about each other and how we think about the field. And, and so this issue was really to um, take a moment and really reflect about from all leadership educators, uh, curricular and co-curricular leadership educators, many of our participants and chapter authors were, you know, working full-time jobs in higher ed or even outside of higher ed and teaching leadership education. And so it was neat to see their perspectives come alive in, in the book. Um, so really we wanted to explore where are we growing, how are we shaped, what does our discipline look like right now, and how can we support leadership educators long-term with a book like this and maybe some future work on to how do we, how do we collectively, collectively assemble so that we um, are supporting each other and driving this sort of young field forward. And Michael, I'll, I'll share it with you and see what your thoughts are. Yeah, well, thanks, Jennifer. It, when Jennifer and Susan and, and Kathy sort of reached out to me to be uh, an editor with uh, Jennifer on this, I was, first of all, really excited to work with Jennifer. Certainly, you know, as Dan alluded to earlier, you see people at conferences and, and get to know their faces, but you don't always have the opportunity to really partner with them in, in deep work. And so this was a really exciting opportunity to work with someone who in my daily life, I wouldn't have as much opportunity to do so. And was excited for that reason. But also, um, I previously worked at Washburn University in Topeka, Kansas, and developed uh, a Master of Arts in Communication and Leadership. And at that institution, uh, graduate programs already existed. Uh, and so it was more a matter of determining how that particular program was a part of the portfolio of graduate opportunities at, at that university, but had recently started at work. College in Waverly, Iowa, uh, and was working on the development of a Master of Arts in Leadership um, on a campus that has not historically had graduate programs. And so at the time uh, that Jennifer and others reached out to me, I was really, it was just really on my mind about all the infrastructural considerations that are important to consider in supporting our graduate and professional students. And so along with the curricular and co-curricular components that Jennifer was mentioning as important, I was really thinking about how we have a lot of work to do in uh, graduate and professional leadership education uh, to help our institutions understand the type of infrastructure that's needed and to consider the unique aspects of adult learners uh, that are important to consider in developing our programs. And so it was just really timely. And I think what's been really exciting is that Jennifer and I bring different networks to the conversation, different perspectives to the conversation. And I think that's what made it a really dynamic and enjoyable process. Uh, and between the voices of the other authors that were a part of uh, the issue and also uh, some of our focus group participants, we have a really great representation of faculty, um, as Jennifer mentioned, uh, both those who are full-time, but also those who are adjunct, from staff members, uh, from students, that really allowed us to get kind of a comprehensive first step in thinking through where is it we need to go in terms of additional exploration in this area. So I was really humbled to have the invitation and uh, feel like not only was I able to share some perspective, but also learned so much through that process from the other authors and the focus group participants. 
Oh, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to come back to what y'all learned from working with others in this process. But um, I'm, you know, I'm glad that this is happening because like you said, I think Jennifer, you talked about traditional versus non-traditional. You know, I started my doctoral work when I was running a leadership office. So I was on our senior leadership team in the Division of Student Affairs. I needed some of the statistical background, the research background. It had been a while since I had been in grad school and I knew that there were some things that changed. And so like I chose my doctoral program because it was ideal for me as well as my supervisor at the time says, you know, you need a terminal degree if you're going to continue to advance in student affairs. And I think about, I wanted leadership education. I was, I was hungry and passionate about that. A higher ed program wasn't going to do for me, even though I knew I wasn't, I didn't plan on leaving higher education. So that like leadership space was, was wonderful. And, and in my program, it was ideal because first it was interdisciplinary. So I wasn't just with other college professors or even student affairs professionals. You know, some of my colleagues were coming from healthcare and, you know, government work and nonprofit. And so that, that lens just opened the door for richer discussion beyond just college classrooms. And then I also needed a program that worked for me as a wife and a mother. Like I have two boys. My youngest was five, four or five. Like I remember I have a picture of him sitting on my lap while I'm trying to read and he's taking his nap while I'm you know, reading through some of my journal articles for class. So I needed a, a program that could do that. If I had to quit my job and just go full time, I wouldn't have been able to get the advanced degree. So I love that you're highlighting those change, those necessary changes as the adult learners have changed. Um, I also think we have some diversity in adult learners. Like I teach this class called Leading Diverse Teams and I have some students who are coming right out of college and they're very much in line with my undergraduate students. But then I have a subset of students who haven't had gone to college when they've had a learning management system or they may have had Blackboard. And we know that there's so much more diversity in that. They don't understand watching videos and that the syllabus, you don't get it handed to you in class on the first day. And so there's so many things that they just don't understand. And you're responsible for more of the guidance in those respects. Um, and, and I don't know that faculty know that they have to do that. I think there's this expectation that they'll figure it out. And my other students do, but I feel more of a more inclined to make sure they know, okay, so here's some things that have changed maybe in the last 15 or 20 years since you've been in school. And so, you know, I, I know that I've picked up on those things from, from gleaning the issues. What were y'all surprised to learn from working with other authors during this process? Like, what are some of the things you learned? Oh my gosh, I guess I'll start off there. We learned so much. Um, and as um, as you're speaking, Lauren, I'm, I'm thinking about yeah, the progression in the past 20 years in leadership education and then where it's going now. For instance, in our EDD program and in interdisciplinary leadership, again, like yours, it's we have people coming from their master's degree straight in, or we have people who are retiring from the military, we're retiring from and looking for something just interesting to do. And everything in between. And so, um, and we heard this from our authors as well, um, adapting to the needs of the learner where maybe when I was in my PhD program, it was very much, it was more um, pedagogical, you might say. It was more top down. This is what you'll take. This is the process. This is how you walk through the process. Whereas now we use the word andragogy in our in the book, and um, that word's been around for a while. But our participants shared that this very um, tricky phenomenon of 
navigating the needs of all while sitting in an institution that requires us to be somewhat standardized. <laughs> so, right, it's an online learning portal. Um, courses need to be constructed a certain way. They're eight weeks long. There's assignments, there's the readings. And how do you make it alive for someone who's, you know, a retired uh, general in the United States Army and <laughs> who arrives, who arrives because of his experience knowing exactly what he wants to do. So, you know, it, there's those delicate moments that have in our ADD program, we have to talk through a lot as we've evolved and, um, and hire at the support of the provost and others is very important because sometimes they might not understand how the program is different from the 80% of all the other programs that are at, at the institution, right? So, um, it creates this tension and we, and that's what that was brought forth pretty clearly in the book is who are we? What is our identity? What is our role? Um, are we just always going to be just making do like always continually adapting or is there going to be a moment when we can kind of say, Hey, and this is, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but this is, we kind of landed with, Hey, where are we moving forward and how are we moving forward together so that places like ILA, ALE, can help us have that support. And even in be between ILA and ALE throughout the year, you know, throughout our lives, throughout our career, how can that sustain us? Because um, I know there's a lot to be learned from others who are doing leadership education and in curricular and co-curricular ways. And um, I think we need each other. So that is a jump ahead, but that's where my mind went when you asked that question. I'm sure Michael can has thoughts as well. Yeah, you brought up so many great ideas about your experience uh, as an instructor and thinking through some of the uh, things that we need to work with adult learners on to help them feel supported when their experience with our institutions might feel different from what some of the institutions uh, provide in terms of undergraduate uh, student types. So. I think as we worked with authors and through our focus group, I was able to put words to some of the tensions that I felt like I was navigating in my own work. So thinking through tensions, for example, in the curriculum of balancing both the application base that we know is important for adult learners to be able to understand the relevance of their learning, along with the theoretical components that we know are important for them to take away in an exposure to a variety of theories and the ability to deconstruct those or think through the voices that are or are not represented within those theories. Uh, the tensions between uh, trying to create access and provide ultimate access to students at different times of day, you know, through online learning, while also then trying to help our institutions understand that that is a high quality delivery model. Uh, this tension of access and quality that we sometimes navigate. Uh, and a lot of it was folks talking about their passion for supporting the student audience and navigating institutionally how you provide that level of support for the student type. And I think to your point, Lauren, some of the things that we pick up as instructors, and, and to Jennifer's point, sometimes folks that are adjunct instructors that are are not employed full-time by the institution, but because they care so much about their students uh, that are sometimes above and beyond what might be expected of others in terms of helping socialize those students to the graduate experience, to providing support in online environments, 
uh, to the advising of dissertations, master's theses, all of those sorts of things uh, that are really important to the student experience, but that really pull us in a lot of different directions. But I think to the point Jennifer just made about how we can find support with one another and think through how through our networks, we might be able to create uh, methods that are both effective and efficient. So I think in a lot of ways it felt reassuring, like, oh my goodness, so many people are thinking about these same issues. But then I think it's important for us to see this issue uh, as a product as just the beginning of additional conversation that takes us into additional research and uh, practitioner considerations moving forward. Yeah, yeah, you uh, you all set me up really, really good for this next question. <laughs> so this is lovely. So this is a just a really comprehensive issue of NDSL. It's just like just really, really great mix of you. You, you look at uh, you know diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. You're looking at delivery modalities, graduate program mission statements, vision statements, the curriculum, the co-curriculum, even looking at like graduate student professional identity. And then you, you all close with this call towards the future of graduate and professional leadership education, which which is uh, definitely needed. So I'm curious, you know, how, how would, and you all have shared a, a bit about this already, how would you say that some of these experiences y'all have had both, I guess, completing graduate programs yourselves and now teaching in these graduate leadership programs kind of influence your decisions to focus on these specific topic areas that became chapters in this issue? Mm. I guess because we lived it, yeah. Dan, you know, Lauren, because you live it every day. And it's like sometimes we're in our own world and sometimes we're part of the institution. Sometimes we're part of the academy. And so I guess truly, I think maybe we were selfish in this, Michael, in that and was very affirming to talk to the authors because um, and because they they said it, you know, they said the things that we were feeling and maybe didn't have a full spectrum view on. I don't know, Michael, what do you think about, you know, kind of what sort of. Yeah, I'm reflecting on the fact that, you know, Susan was very, very passionate when reaching out about this issue about the void of literature and information and research in this area. And so I think when we were approaching it uh, to your exact point, Dan, that it's, it's, it's comprehensive. And, and for that reason, I think that almost any of these chapters could be a full NDSL moving into the future. <laughs> you know, I, I do see it and you uplifted it and framed it up and as I would think of it as well. You know, you have some that's on thinking about pedagogy and andragogy. You have some that's thinking about more of the administrative issues and structure of programs. You have some that are thinking more about the curriculum perspective. And, and I think you could die, I hope people do, uh, and I hope to be a part of some of these conversations moving forward too, of how can we create now issues and research within any of these areas? But I think because there was such a void, it was really starting from a framing conversation of a high level product that could be then drilled down and into in, in future areas. And in some ways, I think Jennifer is right, that the issue itself maybe represents the way our days, our calendars, our, our work is structured in that you, very few of us get to do just one of these, right? That you're thinking about the administrative and the recruitment of instru quality instructors and thinking about continuous improvement and thinking about the curriculum and so and, and serving the students appropriately. And so in some ways, I do think it sort of uh, represents maybe what I suspect many leadership educators are thinking about on a daily basis, that it's not just one of those topic areas, but the whole variety of them. 
You know, you you make a, a really good, interesting point. I think it's, it's it feels meaningful. Like when I first looked at it, I, I was like, okay, yeah, that resonates. Like I looked at the graduate faculty chapter and in part of my role here, I assign faculty members. And some of it is like, do you know, but also are you, do you have like a caring teacher or caring leadership approach? Because that's more and more what all students need, especially coming out of the pandemic where a lot of us are still operating in survival mode. So it speaks to, and I think a lot of, I, I, I know I saw Ralph uh, Gelati's name on there and a lot of the work he's doing is kind of informing how we're re rethinking higher education amidst kind of total chaos. And so so I feel like the work just feels meaningful. So in the same way you and Jennifer said, uh, you know, we live this, it feels meaningful because there are hundreds of other people for sure that feel the exact way you do. Um, one of the things I love about my program at Antioch is they do that really well. So I just took an adult learner survey and I'm answering the questions and most of them are like fives and sixes because they're very intentional about understanding we have these outside lives. Most of our sessions are seven o'clock on a Wednesday night um, or they're Saturday morning at 10 a.m. They're not scheduling a lot of a lot of sessions at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon because they know a lot of us are at work or and have full-time responsibilities. I even think back to, we met every week on Zoom and our, our weekly Zoom sessions didn't start till eight. Well, I could get my son fed and bathed and in bed before I jumped online for that that Zoom and I and I wasn't bothered. So it just feels like the work is really, really meaningful. Um, can you share a little bit about, you know, the ways in which um, leadership educators can also dig into this? You've shared your experiences with it, but how do you see leaders, leadership educators being able to use this in practice? I think if Michael, you have the, the themes, we had four major themes pop up. I think these are sort of the call to action items and the themes, maybe you could share a little about those, Michael, and that would prompt some um, thoughts around how to proceed. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just uh, share uh, before I talk about the themes a little bit more, you know, it's a great question, Lauren. And I'll tell you, we started our Master of Arts in Leadership in the summer of 2021, and we have graduates in just under two months here who will be walking across the first, uh, across the stage. The first graduate students at Wartburg College uh, to, to participate in commencement uh, at the end of May. And one of the things that has been a takeaway for me is we're actually uh, completing focus groups of those students in the next couple of weeks who will be graduating. And a lot of the types of questions that we're asking uh, about their experience are based on some of the topics that were covered in this issue. So from a really practical perspective, um, I think looking at the issue and thinking about some of the considerations of what a, a graduate student experience could look like and how they're impacted by some of the considerations of our curriculum and our administrative structures, I think, think could be a, a takeaway for some folks too as, as well. That's been one of the things that I feel like the focus group that we're going into is probably structured differently than if I'd never been a part of this issue, certainly. So, uh, but, to, but to Jennifer's question, uh, when we did a focus group, which is uh, one of the the second to last chapter, the results of that are within uh, the NDSL in the second to last chapter. We came up with four themes and Jennifer and I were visiting about this earlier today uh, that we met several times because there was so much rich data within these focus groups of faculty, staff, graduate students about uh, what their experiences looked like. And four, four components really came out that I think allow us for opportunity for continued exploration. So one is just about the intentional program design. Uh, and within that, there are some, some sub-themes, but kind of to my point earlier, thinking about that balance of access and quality, thinking about 
um, what what is the alignment of our particular program with the mission of our institution? Because uh, we have so many leadership programs across the nation and across the globe, and it's really important for us to think through what's our niche that would allow a student to distinguish our program from other programs that exist. Uh, the power of place also relates to that as well. That was our second theme. And we were really reminded throughout the focus group and the issue of how important the way uh, the location of leadership programs within the organizational structure was to the curriculum, to the types of resources that were provided, and frankly, the amount of collaboration that was allowed. Um, I know it was mentioned earlier that uh, uh, you were in an interdisciplinary program, and one of the challenges that arose was when you leverage the talent and the expertise of folks from different areas of campus, there are sometimes equity issues around compensation or norms within those areas. And so that's really, I think, an area for the future of higher education to address is, how are we allowing, if we think multiple perspectives in interdisciplinary education are important, that we think through the equity of those policies and practices? Uh, the third one was the ide identity as a leadership educator. And there's been so much important work done within this area already in terms of research. But what really uh, we were reminded through this was the value of those who came up always in a place of higher education, but the equal value of those instructors who come from outside, who want to contribute to the education of our students, um, who might be practitioners. And, and really from a lot of our student experiences, they don't know the difference between those two roles. So much of it is our experience thinking about, is that person tenure track? Are they full-time, you know, administratively? But from the student experience, they're equally valuable perspectives. So I think our institutions and our departments thinking through how we uplift the voices and the unique perspectives of those folks is really important. And then the final theme that we really drilled down into that we've already talked about today is the multiple skill sets of the leadership educator um, when we're serving as sometimes the admissions rep, as well as the uh, you know thesis or dissertation uh, chairperson or uh, the person who's providing support or networks across campus, as well as um, being in the online or in-person classroom, how do we how do we remain renewed through all of that? How do we try to leverage maybe uh, the expertise of others so that we don't have to be the expert in everything, but to really think through how we're preparing folks uh, for sometimes the challenging nature of being all of those things? And I'll, I'll stop here in a minute because I know I can continue to go on and on, but what I was amazed by, whether it was the authors or the focus group participants, is even with all of those things on their mind, even with them being pulled in so many different directions, the rewarding nature of working with the students and the fact that they were so student focused helped them continue to persist even through all those challenges. That people still made time to write an article for this particular issue or to be a focus group participant because even though they had so much on their calendar and in their week, they found it so rewarding to work with graduate students. And I think that's just a key takeaway was just how powerful the work is in keeping people renewed and persistent. It feels like at the center of all of this is relationships and interaction. So we know that students don't care about faculty type. They care about a sense of belonging. They care about interpersonal relationships and then quick feedback. And so if you're doing those things, then uh, then it makes sense that they feel uh, connected. I know in my experience, they provided us with our own writing coach, our own librarian, librarian, um, and our own like financial aid person, our own like enrollment person and development person. 
person. And I feel like the benefit is I know exactly who to go to. The problem is I'm not connected to the university as much as I'm connected to the location, like the graduate school of leadership and uh, change management. And so it's, you build this relationship with this hyper-specific area and then the, the broader institutional relationship falls by the wayside because they provided those resources and made it available to you. So I, I can't wait to dig into that part and then do some further thinking about that. Um, I, I'm so I'm just so excited to read more of this issue for a lot of the reasons that you shared. I feel like we could go on for another 40 minutes, right, Dan? We could we could ask questions some more. We could. I've got one more um, and then our penultimate uh, closer. But curious, you know, we we talked about just what a what a great mix of of ideas and and uh, chapters that that y'all were able to to cultivate here uh, through the contributions of your uh, of the authors. What's maybe for each of y'all, like what's what's a big takeaway or like something interesting that y'all learned from your authors or from maybe a specific chapter that, you know, I, I don't know if you want to say blew your mind, but maybe something you didn't expect or if it blew your mind. Perfect. <laughs> I'll start that off if that's OK, Michael. Um, I think that what we we really riddled a lot with these themes of of, of the from the focus group. And then we thought, well, so so where are we? Like, so what? So what now? <laughs> and we said, how do we even make this anything tangible? Because it was kind of touching a lot of aspects of leadership, education, leadership development. And so we we riddled on this last summer and summer of 2022. And eventually, no, yeah, I don't know which, I guess that was the summer, sorry. Um, and we riddled, we came up with the bamboo plant because we were looking at the field of leadership education and development and realizing it's still relatively young and we couldn't think of an analogy, but somehow the bamboo plant sort of popped into our heads because what we learned was that the bamboo tree lives underground for a very long time and builds its roots before it even emerges above the surface. And then once it's above the surface, it has so many branches and directions it can go and they're all the same organic matter, right? So they're all the same DNA, yet they may reach in different places and it's still one unit, a living unit. And so that seemed like something that could be an analogy for the field of leadership education because that's what we were actually seeing in the entity, which is leadership education and, and its maturity. So. So maybe we're just coming across that, you know, to be visible, more visible in the field of academia and, and in the field of practice. And so now we, what it takes is us to understand our DNA. So what are the, what are we made of? And that hasn't been, so here's an emerging research. Here's emerging thought processes that need to be fostered. Where are, you know, what is our DNA? Is there, is there any set of I don't want to say it because I don't think there is, but it, there's a mechanism that makes us leadership educators. There's something, but maybe it's just simply the desire to foster leadership in others. Maybe that's the, the sole DNA that we have and the training that allows us to do that. But then where do we go from there? Um, I think that's for the field to decide. And we're looking, we are really looking that we, we talked a lot about this is just the beginning. So if we were going to now nourish this bamboo tree that is moving up above the ground and um and through things like 
ILA, ALE, and all of your sessions, all these great, uh, you know, this series, um, we can do more of that and sort of um, link our DNA together in a way that um, fosters our, the maturity of the field so that it can be something that's not mysterious to maybe a president of a university or a provost or, you know, who's never, you know, came out maybe through the sciences or through another field that is very um, aged. <laughs> it's been around for a long time, I'll say. History, for example, English. These traditional topics that are taught in, in higher education are fantastic, but we're newer. And so we need to... Um, create an artifact or something that allows us to be seen and understood in a, in a way that is kind of um, not as mysterious as it is right now to institutions and to the students. The students seem to understand it more than sometimes our institution does because they want to learn to be leaders, right? So they come to us for a reason. But um, I wanted to offer up before we close today that the bamboo tree and, and we envision branches, those branches developing in sort of the infrastructure and the um, organism that is our field. Yeah, I'll, I'll add just a couple of items. So I, like Jennifer, think that whole idea of us collaborating to be more resilient, you know, using that metaphor of the bamboo is, is really important and powerful. Um, and so uh, that, was a, that was a fun finding uh, that allowed a little bit of creativity at the end of the issue. A couple other things that really stood out to me and it, it builds a bit off of Jennifer's point is this idea that as a field, we have many similarities, but as we think about our institutions, and this goes back to a point I made earlier, I think we each have a unique approach to the way that we uh, teach leadership education and, and the arenas in which we're preparing students. And so I think one of the things I'm, even this weekend, I'm working with a, a group on campus thinking about how our leadership and service align with our mission and how we uplift that as distinctive. And um, I think that's really important for institutions to think about. How are you being distinctive in the way that you approach this while still leaning on the things that we as a field think are, that we think are critical for every student who has a leadership degree to have? The other thing that really surprised me as I you know, was reflecting back on the chapters, um, Jim Martin, you know, I mentioned earlier this idea that it feels like people are pulled in a lot of different directions. Uh, in terms of supporting students and advocating for graduate programs and, and leadership education at their institutions. And one of the things uh, that I was really inspired by was Jim Martin's chapter. Uh, Jen Jennifer and, and Jim are colleagues, and so she kind of brought him to the writing process. But he talked about, in my mind, uh, leaning in to all we bring as leadership educators into the administrative circles of the institution. That in fact, one of the best ways that we can advocate for people understanding what leadership education is and what's needed for effective graduate programs is to get in there into those influential uh, uh, committees and, and to really share with others what we do. And I think that's powerful in this time where we can sometimes feel overwhelmed by the amount we're being asked to do, but to think really, as leadership educators, gosh, we're really well equipped to, to provide leadership to this organization, this institution as a whole. And so that was one thing, you know, I, I, he just left me really reflecting on that about how do we do that. So um, I, I just really enjoyed this, found it very fulfilling and think that, again, it's, it's maybe a starting point as compared to a closure of a conversation that we hope that people pick up on these little nuggets throughout the issue and think through how, whether through practice or research, they can take them into their own work. That's fantastic. Is there 
anything else on y'all's mind that you, you know, that we didn't ask or that you, that kind of came to you as you were processing that, that you would love to share with our listeners before we close out? My only comment is uh, that this is an amazing experience to, to co-edit or write with these new directions for student leadership. As I mentioned earlier, I feel like I learned as much as I contributed and the network that you develop, uh, we've done some panels at conferences uh, mm-hmm. with some of these authors since. The, the, the network that you develop is, is really fun and one that you might not normally engage with. And so I just really encourage people, if you're asked to write or if you're asked to edit, uh, please step up. Um, it's, it's a really formulated process that um, you know, uh, Kathy and V can walk you through in order to, to do this. Um, but it, it, it certainly is dynamic and organic in some ways, but they have a great process to help guide you in developing the vision and working with the authors. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I would agree. I would agree. Um, this, this issue, this whole series in BSL is, it's so rich. If, if, if one wants to, is new to the leadership education field, um, having access to this series is just so um it is exactly what we're talking about it is the it's part of the bamboo tree right it, it is uh, probably the, at the where, where we came sort of over this where we could be seen right because it's it's emerging it's it's something that now we can see it's not just something that happens in this institution and in that institution no now now we that was really the impetus for the for the collective and um, the conferences ale ILA, i keep referencing those but there's others lei Anytime you can sit with other leader, leadership educators and just do this thinking and talking, and that is what academia is about, right? It's about us being together, though we're across the world. Um, we have something that we all share. And so it's really fulfilling, as Michael's saying, to you know Ralph and, and Sarah and all these authors, Jim, uh, I think they they felt that too a little bit in, in writing and seeing this come together. So we're grateful for this series that you've offered for a while now to kind of let us have time together. Uh, we really appreciate that. You know, I love what y'all shared because the theme of community has emerged so much in our broader season episode, our broader season where we're focused on research, you know, we were expecting more logistics and, and, and it just feels like everyone keeps coming back to that idea of community. I now have a new set of peers and we've bonded over this experience. And not only are we talking about this at conferences, we're having these discussions so that we can at our own institutions and our own programs be better, as well as the push for making sure the senior leaders of these institutions understand leadership. Because like you said, almost all college students now are taking some kind of leadership class. And so if they know it and then they get into the world and they're not seeing it from their leaders, it's going to cause some confusion. And they might feel like in earnest, we haven't prepared them. I know with every leadership class I teach, I start with when, like when I was in college, I didn't have a leadership course. And so you're going to go into these spaces and you might see something different from those that are for, I tell them I'm 25, but we know I'm not. But those 40 and over, they didn't get those classes. And so when you're seeing it, like, don't be jarred by it. Just know they're kind of coming along as you're coming along. And so, so many of the things that y'all have shared today have been incredibly helpful. I'll also say, you know, um, Susan was the editor for a long time and now V has stepped in recently. And we have an episode, one of our more recent episodes features Kathy and V and talking about him coming on board as the associate editor in this space. So for our listeners, if you haven't already, that's a great episode to listen 
listen to in tandem. Um, I'll end with thank y'all both for joining us today. It has been a great conversation. We are grateful for your time, contributions to the leadership space, and we want to wish you the best of luck as you go out and teach, you lead at your institutions, you can continue doing research and just contributing to the community of practice uh, and beyond. Thank y'all so much. Thank Thank you you so much. It was great to be with you. Thank you very much. This was fun. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators the Association of Leadership Educators, and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.